1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review, with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 273, recorded September 4th, 2017. So today we're starting off Burden
0: of Knowledge. Yes, Taw's Taw's story. Four-parter. Yeah, it's quite good too, so far.
1: I I like it. It, It's very old-fashioned you know, back-to-the-roots kind of Taw's stuff. And it seems pretty episodic. I mean, the first three books that we're going to do today don't really seem like they're, you know, attached to each other. They just seem to be, you know, Kirk and the crew doing the normal kind of stuff you do when you're in the Federation. Right, yep. Just exploring strange new worlds and seeking out new life and new civilizations. Indeed, but... So far, the episodes are a little bit less exploring at the edges of the Federation. It seems a little bit more towards, you know, like, this is the kind of stuff you do when you're closer to home. I mean, it's first first contact situations.
0: Yeah, all three of these seem to be first contact. So to to me, that's like the border of, uh, you know, these are the people that we're going to bring into the Federation. Because the Federation hasn't quite made it out this far yet.
1: Well, okay. You'll remember the first one is this is like a second or third visit. So it isn't quite first contact. Sure. Now, the second one definitely is first contact. But, you know, sometimes they're in your own backyard, but because they didn't have warp flight capability, you might not actually do first contact. So I, I don't know. You know Maybe you're right. Maybe you're maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but you know... Oh, I'm always right. Uh, I'm sorry. Of course you are. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, you know, going to strange new worlds... They're usually people they haven't really they're not planning on doing first contact with. you know They're just going to a new planet or just figuring out what's going on first, and then they go ahead and then do first contact, right. uh, after they've assessed them a little bit. Anyway, whatever. That's the main true. point is, this is episodic, and it's, you know, wheelhouse, traditional tows-type stuff happening.
0: I like it.: Yep, I, I liked it a lot. I hope I like the, the fourth issue, which this is only a four-parter, so um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, finishing it off. I almost right. finished it off last night, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I don't want to go into this one knowing how it ends. So I agree. I, I held I,
1: off. I held off, too, so good. Because it seems like even though they've been episodic so far and disconnected from each other, the first three books, it mm-hmm. seems like they're bringing it back around to the first issue in the fourth issue. Right, which is
0: kind of like that. Um, what was that next generation one where they kind of did the same thing, where oh. they had to go inside the big computer and fight the lasers? That oh were god, there. that thing!
1: Yeah, right, 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 yeah. right.
0: And then they had to also fight Romulans. And then in right. the last issue, it came it came
1: full circle. Exactly. Like, oh. that's, that's another good example. They seem to be separate stories in the in the early issues. Yeah. Right. So that that one was probably written by
0: the Tipton brothers too. So could be. Uh, this was their. Original series version of that, and that was The Next Generation. There you go. Anyways, well, uh, I think uh, I think that's enough preamble. Do you want to go ahead and get started in the actual first issue?
1: Yes, let's do that. Okay, so issue number one for Burden of Knowledge is titled Uncertain Prescriptions, and it was published date June 2010. Creative team is, as Donovan mentioned, Scott and David Tipton. Art is by Frederica Manfredi. Sorry, Frederica, for mispronouncing that. Colors by Andrea Priorini, letterer, Neil Taki. editor, Scott Dunbar. Okay, so we got three covers. Uh, cover A features Kirk, Spock, Dr. McCoy, and a young crewman in a defensive circle firing upwards into the sky. Blasts are hitting the ground close to them. This cover is by Frederica Manfredi. Cover B features the top four characters in all of Taw's, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and the Enterprise. Cover by Joe Caroni. It's a a nice traditional cover. Almost photo-like. The Retailer Incentive Cover features Kirk and Spock's upper torsos taking up the top half of the cover and the Enterprise firing phasers forward taking up the bottom half. This cover is by Michael Stribling. Kirk's log reports the Enterprise has arrived at Migdalas three for the third visit in the process of evaluating the planet to join the Federation. McCoy is excited about the prospects of admission of the Migdalians that have demonstrated amazingly advanced medical technology. Treatments of systematic organ damage without risk of infection that takes minutes instead of days to recover from. It's amazing, Jim. Kirk tells McCoy he is not the only one, as Admiral Komac was clear that he wanted this evaluation visit to go smoothly. Spock reminds them both that there are more criteria for Federation admission than just what technology the applicant planet can offer the Federation. Political stability, societal readiness, many factors. Aher uh, reports the Migdalians Administrative Council is ready to receive them. The Fab Three beam down to the planet and pick up a fourth named Lieutenant Thompson. Oddly enough, he is wearing a command-gold tunic, as opposed to red. On the planet, they are met by Chief Facilitator Weiss, who takes them on a brief tour of the city before they enter the administration building. As they approach the building, they hear explosions. Three ships are attacking the area around the admin building. They run for the admin building, but just in front of them, a blast hits and heaves the pathway up into the air in front of them. Kirk and Spock are able to use their phasers set on full power to bring down one of the three ships that are attacking them. The other ships break off the attack, which gives them time to discover that Lieutenant Thompson took the brunt of the blast. He is out and in bad shape with internal injuries. Weiss asks Captain Kirk to allow them to help his injured man. Later in the building, after Thompson has undergone treatment in a sophisticated tubular contraption, he is up and around. He says he is feeling fine, but does not remember what happened. Kirk has the lieutenant beamed up to the ship to rest, while the rest of them continue on to the council chambers. The chief physician named Erebus, who cured Thompson, is now leading them. On the way to the chambers, all four of them are beamed off the planet onto one of the ships that attacked them earlier. The ship accelerates to high warp, but Scotty and the Enterprise noticed losing contact with the captain and the suspicious ships breaking orbit that happened to be carrying two humans and one Vulcan lifeform aboard. Scotty orders pursuit course. Meanwhile, Kirk and his party are disarmed and taken hostage by a new set of aliens that look like humanoid peregrines, or penguins, armed with large guns. Big, large guns. They are thrown in prison with Erebus. They talk to Erebus, trying to find out who these aliens are. Airbus acts like he and his people are innocent, and it's all the vertili that are attacking without provocation. They are trying to steal their medical technology captain. Kirk and company are suspicious, but at the moment they decide to focus their efforts on escape. One of the Vertili guards enters the room to take Airbus away, but Kirk is able to knock the guard out with a right cross after he is distracted by Spock's unsuccessful attempt to neck pinch him. Kirk's team and Airbus leave the cell, find their equipment, and a map of the ship. Ever the bold one, Kirk leads the group to the bridge. In the meantime, the Enterprise has caught up, and after the Virtilli refuse to respond to hails, Scotty takes out their engines with some well-placed phaser shots. In the meantime, Kirk and his party storm the bridge and find it's already in disarray. Damaged and smoking control panels are keeping the bridge crew very busy. The captain asks Kirk and his team to please put down their weapons. The captain says they never intended to sweep up the captain and his landing party. They just wanted Airbus, who owes them big time. An argument ensues where the captain is accusing Airbus and his people of taking payments up front for services rendered that were never rendered. Kirk tries to be the peacemaker and offers to act as mediator in their dispute. They turn down his offer but asks them to wait here while they go off to talk out their dispute. They return after a time saying they came to an agreement on their own to work out the dispute. Captain Kirk commends them on their ability to find a nonviolent solution to their dispute. Those are the actions of potential Federation members. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy being back to the Enterprise. Later on the bridge, Thompson reports he feels fine and appears to be handling his navigator duties just fine. Spock raises his suspicions over how swiftly they and the Vertili were able to work out their differences. Kirk is less suspicious and chalks it up to them wanting to make a good first impression in front of strangers. After seeing firsthand how Thompson was cured of his severe trauma injuries so quickly, McCoy is more excited than ever over the Migdallian's Federation admission application. McCoy states that if they are able to share in the Migdallian's medical tech, he might be out of a job. To be continued.
0: Interesting little story.
1: Yeah, so we had a little bit of action, so that was cool. But a lot of it is like political type stuff and, you know, negotiations and, you know, that kind of thing. Which I'm a big fan of, so it works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm fine with it, too. It's just – do you remember when they came out with the 2009 movie? And yeah. And coming up to that, The Onion had done – I think it was The Onion. Anyway, somebody on the web had done a little thing about – Oh how great and awesome the new uh, 2009 movie was, and they and was comparing and contrasting to the Taws Cruise movies, and how oh Star Trek Six just was loaded with a bunch of people in uniform sitting around a table talking politics. <laughs> blah, blah, right. Blah, blah. And look at this: Kirk and Sulu are free falling from space, you know, down to the you know parachuting whatever, and it's like uh, that's excitement, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. Sometimes the talking is not as action-packed, but in a real situation like, like this, you'd have to talk, right? right? I mean, that would have to be part of it. It isn't all just shooting and uh, excitement. So, I like it too.
0: Yeah. No, I thought it was good. This, was, this really
1: felt like an episode. This it could did. have been an episode. It could have been an episode, exactly. Right. So, that, no. that, that's the cool thing. I mean, love Star Wars. But a lot of Star Wars is action, action, action. You've got a war going on. You've got a rebellion right. going on. Where this, Star Trek, isn't just action, action, action. It's actually trying to say something. Right. But. Which I think is funny because that's, I mean, since you brought up Star Wars,
0: I mean, that's why people, it's one of the reasons why people don't like this, the prequels is because they say it's more, you know, political intrigue and, you know, mining disputes and stuff like that as far as, you know, what they spend a lot of screen time yeah. discussing. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I always liked that part. I was like, "Well, that makes sense. That's that's how this kind of stuff happens in real life, right?" That, yeah, you know, and one side thinks that they're being wronged, and exactly, you know, and, and then you know they start doing you know something that's a little shady, but then that escalates into something else that's shady, and then before you know it, you're 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 at war, and you hate those other people, even right. though all they were trying to do is get a fair deal themselves. Yeah, I like it. Right. Yeah. yeah, so these guys, obviously, they have a history, and, and we don't know what it is, but there's something there, and I liked it. I thought it was good.
1: Yeah. So I do, um, When well, as I was reading this, you know, obviously, they're trying to tell you, this is this is not all it appears. There's something going on here. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious, right? Right. These uh, Migdalians, Migdal- I-, I know I'm mispronouncing it, but. They're up to something, and I think they're in cahoots. I think they make it kind of obvious that these um, Vertili are somehow in cahoots. I think the whole thing was organized, you know, uh, the attack and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Of course, that's just a theory. We don't know for sure, and we will not know absolutely for sure by the time we get to the third issue. Although when we get to the end of the third issue, a little foreshadowing, Something will happen which will underscore the idea that this is probably not all it seems. Right. On the surface. Yeah, so, yeah, when we moved into episode two and then you found
0: out that this is more of an anthology type series than mm-hmm. than a continuing series, I was a little disappointed because I was like, man, they set up a lot of questions on that first issue to just drop. Right. So, hopefully, they do come back and, and you know, book in the series with, with with more of these guys. Right.
1: And what that little deal was in the back room exactly their their medical equipment that was able to uh cure the lieutenant so quickly, well, not only that, but
0: just what these two guys what what was the what was the agreement they really came up with when they oh walked oh back that. The
1: back? oh yeah, yeah, I don't know uh maybe it's a little bit early for me to say this, but i these are my notes after reading this issue. This was just kind of reminding me a little bit of encounter at Farpoint, the first next gen episode mm hmm Where an applicant to the federation, trying to get federation membership, basically faked some things, cooked the books, as it were, to get in. So um, I think this might be something similar in the end, but we'll find out. So you're thinking that they're cooking the books? They're they're, they're not as medically advanced as they say they are. That's what I think Mm. at this point, because that's the big. So I'm sure you recall. I'm sure everybody recalls. Encounter at Firepoint. I think what the aliens had done, the applicants of the Federation, they had somehow captured and coerced a huge alien that's able to change its form to make some kind of a uh, star base. Right. Or some kind of installation that could be used as a star base. And they were able to do it in like record breaking time to get the construction done. So, they, you know, their big thing to help out the Federation. Something that grease the skids of them becoming members is their abilities to build star bases so fast in new places. Uh, and then, of course, in the end, it all comes to light that it's really not a star base. It's a creature that has the ability to shapeshift to some degree.
0: Right. Now, did they know where more of those creatures were? So they thought maybe they could capture <laughs> more
1: of them and do the same thing? I don't know, because it doesn't seem like a good plan, does it? Unless they were able to do that. Right. Well, yeah, would it think- be... We, we, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So huh. you're probably going to notice you can't do this more than once. Right. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, exactly. So anyway, so uh
0: let's talk uh artwork and creature design. So yeah. uh what do you think of the blue guys? They they seem much taller than a normal human.
1: Yeah. They're they're pretty tall. Um I think they look fine. I mean, it's it's a true it's an alien their heads seem a little bit elongated also, mm-hmm. but um, very humanoid-like. I think they've got five fingers and, and one thumb, you know, or four fingers and one thumb. Sure. Um, so they're very human-like, and they even got like, like goatees, uh, facial hair and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a blue. Um, they seem blue fine. Blue with white hair, so very almost Andorian-like in color scheme. Well, it depends upon which one of them, because the first guy has got black hair. Oh, did he? Uh, yeah. So they do have different color hair. Um, so they're, I, I guess just because they're so human-like, pretty much, oh, yeah. um, you know, maybe you accept them. It's the fertility that are a little bit harder to accept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they
0: look like uh, – I thought they looked like a parakeet, but you, you parakeet. pointed out that
1: they're more penguin-like. Well uh, – or puffin. Uh, but, but you're right. I mean they – yeah, they're a bird of some kind. right? And uh, and I was thinking puffin, but maybe they are parakeets. That, that's a possibility. I like how she drew them so that it looks like a costume
0: from the 60s show. So <laughs> you're, they're supposed to get this implication that they have wings. Right. But if you look at the drawing, it's definitely their their clothes, right? They're wearing these like Tunics that have these like feather looking stringy things coming off of them, right? So she even drew it that (laughs) as if it was a guy in a costume. That it's a (laughs) a guy, he has normal human fingers, but he has this cloak or this tunic that makes it look like feathers, but it's not really. And then he has a bird beak
1: on. You're right, you're right. Yeah, I loved it, I thought it was great. Yeah, and in fact, if I remember correctly, the original first pilot uh the cage of star mm-hmm. trek um there although this was cut out this was not reused in um menagerie in menagerie but there was some footage when pike was looking around where he was being held and he had seen different aliens different different alien life forms and one of them was a bird like creature Hmm. um something with more feathers but right you know, Maybe a little bit like this. I mean, it looked like the costume uh, came from, like, an old episode of The Outer Limits or something. Or right. maybe Twilight Zone.
0: I haven't watched The Cage as much as I've watched Menagerie, so I need to give that another look because I don't
1: remember that. Yeah, it's, it's short. They show, like, two aliens that are also inside of the prison. Right. That They're still alive? They were still alive. Hmm. Which, of course, they don't, re- they don't refer to them at all in Menagerie. It seems like it's just uh, Pike down there. Right. And Vera, is that her name? Oh, yeah. 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 Vima. What's her name? <sighs> Something so- with a V, right? Uh, not Vera, I don't think. Vina. I think it's Vina. Isn't it Vina? I think it's Vina. I don't know. I don't know. We're supposed to be the Star Trek experts. I know. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's out there listening now saying, Come on! It's blah, yeah. blah, blah. I've never said that? I was a Star Trek
0: expert. I'm a Star Trek fan who's read a lot of Star Trek comics. Exactly. That, that's 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 all I've ever said. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, yeah. I... So uh, the bird the bird thing, I liked it because you know I, I thought it was kind of interesting. But I also, as you know, I'm not a big fan of bird people. So. Uh, that's <laughs> <also> kinda... <laughs> so I liked it and didn't like it at the same time. Hmm. But but I just liked the 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 aesthetic of it that it yeah. looked like it was a guy in a costume. Nah, because that's what it would have looked like in the 60s.
1: Yeah. And there's some scenes especially the guy who is like the guard actually at their prison who's standing there looking very stern and almost angry. Um, right. He just has a great look on his face. He just he just
0: very intense. Yeah, where you just see the eyes moving so everyone's while he's like looking behind him. Or... Yeah,
1: yep, he he looks as he's listening. Anyway. Yep. Uh, so that's good. Uh, let's see.
0: So my favorite part, can I, can I just mention that? Please do. Since you're, at a, you're looking at yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the kidnap scene where they're walking down the corridor and then they just start glowing. And oh, then yeah. The next scene is they're on a different corridor, but they're still walking just like they were. I, I right. thought that was great. I was like, that is quite funny because I couldn't figure out why they were glowing. And then
1: he's like, I think we've been teleported. And I'm like, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> exactly. That was good. Yeah, and the way they have the new quarter that they're in, you know, it, kind, it look, it's much more metallic. And it even right. has some contraptions coming out, like almost like a steam pipe kind of thing or something on the left. It makes right. it almost, it, it, it kind of gives you the feel, oh, we're on a ship, maybe.
0: Right. I thought, well, maybe they somehow passed through a stasis and then because, you know, because I didn't know what what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I'm like watching it going, oh, they must have maybe this is what it really looks like. And they've kind of like walked through some sort of, you know, veil to see what the planet really looks like. It's not all, you know, uh, you know, doesn't look like a hospital. It really Mm -hmm. looks like this dungy, uh, you know, steampunk thing. But uh, but uh, no, that's not what it ended up being. But. You know, for those two panels, when you're trying to figure out what happened, why they started glowing, and why they're somewhere else that looks like the other place, uh, that's where I was going. Ah, there you go. Because even the window is kind of in the same spot in the in the hospital. It's this exactly nice, long, clear window, and blue, then with
1: blue in the background.
0: Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like this dingy portal-looking thing.
1: Right. Yep. A round hatch, which you really can't see as well. What's outside? Right.
0: No. Nah. Good stuff.
1: I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, One other thing I wanted to mention is I enjoyed um, at the back of the book – or no, at the front of the book. They have a creator biographies page. And in it, I really like how they have a drawing of the two Tipton brothers. But what they've done is they they made them look like the two uh, racist aliens – from the Taz episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. You know, the guys that were half black and half white. Right. But they were like half black and half white on opposite sides. So that's the thing they couldn't, you know, get over about each other. Right. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I
0: thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then what I thought was, was cool is that, uh, you know, so many so many of the uh, artists were women, right? Mm. So Yeah. Uh, it talks about uh, Frederica here. Yeah, they have a real artist, her. but then the colorist is also a woman, and and I think the letterer and some of the other issues are are women. So I was wondering if that was uh, intentional that that they were letting, you know, because you know you always think about comic books being kind of a a guy thing, you know, a guy thing that guy, yeah. guys are the artists, guys are the ones writing it. So I was wondering if they intentionally uh, were letting more women write
1: and letter and, and ink this book maybe or maybe it's just coincidence they're they're starting to make it not just a boys club
0: right they're just talented which i also would like i would like just that these women were the most talented ones to do this artwork and this uh these coloring and that's mm-hmm. why they're on it not because they wanted to do an all-women book it was exactly because they're the they're the best ones
1: available exactly by the talent so I, I like the artwork. Did okay, you? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to ask.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think the artwork is quite good. I, I like some of the alien landscapes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the cityscapes that they've, they've drawn, um, and I, I like the way a lot of the aliens are drawn, um, and the ships look really good, I think. Right. I agree. Um, the, only thing is, the only thing that puts me off just a little bit is just sometimes uh, Kirk's face. Shatner, right. Yeah. yeah. He's, the, he's the only one that looks off sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's fine. You know, it's yeah. Shatner. He looks good. And other times it's like, oh, that's, there's something weird about that. Yeah. Who's that, that guy? Exactly. Exactly. Who's that really young, good-looking guy? <laughs> that can't be the Shat.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I'll agree with you. That Just occasionally Shatner looked a little off. But right. I thought Nimoy and, um, you know, DeForest Kelly, I thought – you know, they looked like, I mean, the, Kirk, uh, Spock and McCoy looked like those actors. Uh, yeah. Consistently.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. And one other thing if I could like, mention about the artwork is there's a particular page where the Vertili alien, that the bird alien, mm-hmm. is really kind of angry and like saying, hey, you know, you guys are screwing us over something you said you'd do and we paid you for and you didn't do it. The look... On the, on the bird alien's face, I mean, he almost looks like Scrooge McDuck or something. <laughs> is it Scrooge McDuck? Yeah. Okay, right. yeah, yeah. So, so the rich, you know, yeah. Donald Duck uncle or whatever he is. Yeah, yeah. you're talking about the, the bottom of the page? Yes. His mouth's a little askewed. Exactly. So his mouth, yeah. way askewed. You know, like, like, like his left part of his beak is way up in the air, and then the right part is way down, and he's, he's angry. You can tell. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's a little cartoony, you know, but I like it. I still like it, so good work.
0: Anytime you're dealing with, you know, penguin people, (laughs) (laughs) you could start getting into the cartoony. Yeah, okay. (laughs) No, it was good. Um, My only thing was, uh, you know, this Thompson guy. He just seemed to come out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. And of course, yeah, so the first thing you think, hey, here's a guy going down the planet with the uh, Fantastic Three, or the terrific, the, the terrific Three, and we've never seen him before. Dead meat. Right. Only he wasn't dead meat, but,
0: you well, know. They just needed him to illustrate how advanced this medical science is. Exactly. Yeah. Or so they claim. Okay. Well, we, we don't know anything different, so no? I guess we we'll no? still have to go with that.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: All right, I don't have anything else. You? Nope. All right, cool. All right, well, the next issue, uh, issue number two, came out July of 2010. Uh, it only has two covers, both of them by uh, Joe Corny. Uh, basically, it shows Ahura at her station, and then behind her is a little spirally graph of some sort uh, with the Enterprise kind of in the middle of it, and then Spock's head and profile. And the two covers are exactly the same, except one doesn't have the logo, the IDW and Star Trek Burden of Knowledge logos on there. All right. And uh, the uh, written by Scott and David Tipton, art by Fandrika Manfredi, Manfredi, colors by Andrea Piriani, letters by Chris Moirie and edits by Scott Dunbar. So the story starts with the Enterprise on its way to make first contact within the Wasarti system. So this planet has been sending out warp-capable probes to try to find out if there's life out there. So the Federation has decided to send the Enterprise to give it a look. Once they get close enough to the planet, they're contacted by a woman named Annette. And uh, she is a uh, very young, white-haired woman. With an infectious smile. And uh, interestingly enough. She has a cybernetic star shaped thing. On the side of her head. She welcomes them. And gives them some landing coordinates. Soon Kirk, McCoy, Uhura and Spock. Beam down to the spot that she specified. It's a large open field. And soon a carriage arrives. Being pulled by a pair of beasts. McCoy makes a disparaging remark about how they may be still primitive since they're using animals, uh, and yet they're still advanced enough to do these warp tests. Spock points out that the two are not really related. Annette exits the carriage and is surprised that the Enterprise did not land itself inside the field. Kirk does not explain the concept of teleportation and merely says that they were dropped off. Annette then offers them a gift, a cybernetic implant like the one she has. She explains that it's how everyone on the planet communicates, and so that they are all communicating with each other at the same time. The Federation team kindly declines the offer, and Annette is surprised that they would not want to be a part of it, but she is not um, going to push the issue. Hora does rig up the tricorder to at least pick up on the frequency of the communications, even though she cannot read them. They soon travel to the city. Once they are there, they witness a spontaneous parade. Uh, They say that this is possible thanks to everyone being in constant communication with each other. Then they witness a huge mural being painted with their likenesses on a wall, even though the actual painters never have seen them directly. Lastly, they are invited to witness a huge concert in their honor. As they are about to walk up the stairs, a citizen slips Kirk a piece of paper, and he asks him to meet him when he can, and then he vanishes within the crowd. After the concert, Annette offers the crew to wander the city for themselves, and that she will meet up with them later. Kirk and company take this chance to follow the directions on the piece of paper, and they meet up with the strange man. Once they get to the destination, they find a large group of people who have all surgically removed their communication devices from their heads. They just want to be individuals and not part of some larger collective. Annette then arrives, and she expresses that these people have been missed from the thought work all this time. Uh, Instead of punishing them, all she does is she offers to bring them back into the fold and nothing more. Soon, surgeries are now complete and all the people are about to be brought back online. McCoy pleads with Kirk to do something. Kirk states that he cannot since this is their society. Once Annette flips the switch, all the people are seized with indecision. For the first time, a large number of people with different opinions are brought into the fold, and there is some arguments within the thought work. Annette then removes them again from the network and states that they will have to work something else out and find another solution. She bids Kirk farewell, and Kirk says that the Federation will be ready to revisit the planet whenever they're ready. With that, the Federation team beam back up to the ship and Kirk orders RX to plot a course to Starbase seventeen, where we will have our
1: next exciting issue. So what'd you think? I thought it was really interesting because Spock makes a reference. So he's making observations about their society and how they're all plugged in at the mm-hmm. head and they all hear each other and they're all like like almost Borg like. Of course mm-hmm. Spock doesn't know what Borgs are. Um But he makes some reference to something that was done in early 21st century uh, Earth. Right. And so it was like, I read that at first. It was like, what's he talking about? What is he talking about? Anyway, so I kept on going and and reading the story and stuff. It's like, oh, he means Facebook. So he means all these people are Facebook drones. Oh, at least that's what I assume he means. Mm Mm-hmm so
0: yeah so obviously he's talking about those like uh what were they called flash dances or mob dances or whatever where suddenly people would all show up at the same place and do like the thriller dance or something like (laughs) that and then all disperse or whatever (laughs) and they would coordinate it all through social media so yeah i mean this was great because just like in star trek they would always take something that you kind of knew about or, you know, that was a, a thing at the time. And right. Kind of turn it on its head and do a sci fi version of it. Right. And yeah, this is exactly it. The They're all Facebook drones or, you know, social media, you know, always folks staying plugged in with everybody mm-hmm. else at yeah. all time. And then, you know, you have this group of people that are just like, I don't want to tell everybody what I had for dinner yesterday. And I don't <laughs> I don't want them to, <laughs> to know everything about me, where I'm at and all that
1: stuff. So exactly. no, I thought it was right. Yeah, so um, – and I use Facebook. I, I'm not in it all the time, but I do use it. Uh, it's just that I know some people that are liking it all the time, or they seem to be in it all the time. It just seems a little bit overdone. But, um,
0: yeah. And it's not just Facebook. You have everything where, you know yeah. – um, I don't know if it's still – Snapchat? I, and, and then there's Foursquare, which just four basically square. tells you where you're at at all times. So sure. somebody can just look you up and like – Oh well, they're they're at the porta potty on the corner of first and second. You know, I don't know how detailed it gets, but yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like. People don't need to know that about every other person on the planet. Sure. So I, I like the story in that it was, you know, kind of
1: poking at that a little bit. Yeah, and whether it be Snapchatting, instant messaging, it's a way that people are const- are 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 in contact with each other, like. Very quickly and over long distances. Right. um, Which, which of course, has its advantages. Oh, yeah. It's nice that you and I can talk to
0: each other about, you know, whatever we just watched. Not only that, what we're doing right now,
1: you know, recording a podcast. So the Internet helps. But the thing is, I think if you go, uh, you know, start having implants rather than (laughs) having a smartphone or a computer. Right. Especially when it starts to, to, to look really ooky. Around your implant, like little veiny red skin <laughs> stuff, it's like that doesn't look right. That just doesn't look right.
0: Right, but even the, those little things—I mean, it kind of reminded me of you know the Bluetooths and stuff like that that mm-hmm. uh, people are walking around with all the time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Doctor Who kind of did an episode on this too, where the ci- the Cybermen were able to basically take over the Earth because mm-hmm. they were everybody was wearing these little cyber implants. That they thought were just kind of like Bluetooth things, but it was... The Cybermen taking over. I remember that one. Uh, But it was kind of in the same vein that, you know, people see this as, you know, an advancement. that We could all be in communication with each other, but it could be used for nefarious means. Indeed. Well, even uh, the Kingsmen kind of did that, too. A little bit. With the free phone that would blow up
1: everybody. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, so uh, Samuel L. Jackson was supposed to be some silicon valley dude right right so it's not like it hasn't been done
0: before but uh, it's still very it's still a good social commentary on on where we're at right you know where we always have to be in communication and you get the people that take it too far i i think is what what you were getting at earlier that it's very useful in moderation but some people you know take it too far and then you know they they have to tell you every single thing (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so um annette which is i think a apostrophe net right which is also kind of kind of cool kind of like hey annette you know a network you know whatever right yeah i thought that was cool now she's she's pretty hot but she also looks like a drone i mean she she like has Like, sometimes she's, like, has this huge cheerleader Miss America smile going, and then her eyes are just, like, glassed over or something. So it's just kind of scary. Yeah, I guess so, because she
0: is kind of always kind of staring off. And the way she talks, which is also kind of funny, almost a little Kirk-like with a whole bunch of pauses and (laughs) you know stuff like that but uh but she says the reason why she has those pauses in her voice is because she is processing so much information at once that and she's not used to verbalizing
1: it exactly so why talk if you can i mean to some degree that's what happens now i mean people don't call each other as much anymore because they can just text or snapchat or whatever right yeah, so soon we'll just
0: have everybody plugged in and everybody will be thinking the same thing everywhere. Exactly. Perfect. You know, there's still a part of me that's like, you know, that that'd be horrible, but then, yeah. They were able to, you know, deal with um, you know, they were able to come up with the the correct punishment within just seconds, mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah. And all this stuff and you're like, man, I wish you know it would be nice to be able to deal with conflict like that where everybody would just come to a consensus right and then all be in agreement yeah, but, but that thing, does take away your free will so
1: well but but the thing is just because you're in connection just because you've got a real time connection and you can actually hear what everybody thinks is that really going to mean that you can come to consensus any more frequently than than today, when you're just verbally speaking and not everybody can hear each other? I mean, people well, still have different say, opinions. I'm going to say yes
0: because if you if you only watch one one thing over and over and over again, okay, and you're only told that one thing over and over and over again, then yeah, you would start just thinking that that was that was just. You wouldn't have another opinion because you've always been told that, and, and that's what you're going to think, and, and there's no other option. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going off of what I think. That no,
1: I, I, that I, 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 I dig it. I know what you're saying. But the thing is, these are all different people that may have different uh, takes on things. Mm-hmm. So but just because you can all hear each other, it just means you have you know, thousands or millions of different – opinions i mean some of those people are going to have the same opinion but there's a lot more people in the mix so there should be a lot more diverse opinions too right. so well but look at like
0: 1984 yeah so i mean well you're, 1984 you're, you're going your whole life saying that, well, yeah you know, but we are always at war with this person this person's bad yep. you know yeah and then that's the only opinion you've ever heard yep it's the only "quote unquote" truth you've ever heard. So then, therefore, that's all you would think, and you would never have a different opinion because you've never been exposed to a different opinion. So, well, yeah, uh, this kind of takes that to even the the you know the next level. Is not only are you just being told that, like in nineteen eighty four, your whole life now your thought plus everybody else's thoughts are all in your head at the same time, and that's the only truth that you know.
1: I I, I could see that. Okay, nineteen eighty four was an authoritarian. Uh, dystopic uh, dystopia right. that these people were in. So
0: right. there
1: was a central government that was all-powerful that made right. all the decisions and then basically brainwashed all the people into going along with it because they would just lie and okay. just tell them only one thing. They were their sole source of information. North Korea is probably a good modern example of that. But here I thought there isn't one authoritarian whatever forcing an opinion or maybe there is we just don't know it yeah we don't know they didn't actually say that but they do seem to come to consensus pretty quickly don't they you may be right right well i was
0: also just thinking that if if you go your whole life and every single person is being told the exact same thing and everybody has the same experiences then you would all be able to agree with each other because you're basically one person you have one one stream of consciousness and uh you know, even but, though you're an individual with different talents, but you're still you're still with one mindset, right? right? So everybody's thoughts are the shared and you all have the exact same experiences, so you would you
1: would be able to agree because you can always agree with yourself usually. Well yeah, but, but okay, so these examples of these others uh-huh. that disconnected themselves from the network right. shows that not everybody does have the same opinion. So at least right. there's some of that going on in their society.
0: Right, which which I kind of call BS on that a little bit. Okay. Is that if everybody did share every single thought and conversation and everything that you had with everybody else, then how were they surprised that these people did disconnect themselves, right? How how could you create a, a, a movement like this without everybody already knowing about it? Because as soon as I came up to you and said, hey, Ken, you know, there's this other way of thinking – you're connected to the collective, so everybody just heard me tell you that, and then therefore, there there shouldn't have you shouldn't have been able to to disconnect these people unless you're well, somehow disconnecting them before you then have the conversation with them. So it's well, a little
1: to me it was a little wishy washy. Yeah, didn't quite yeah. Well, they can dis. I mean, I could see somebody disconnecting themselves. Hey, just pull the damn thing out of your head or have it removed. Right. But the thing is. People will notice that. I mean they talked – well, yeah. So they talked about when they were brought back and they were reunited with family or something. So there mm-hmm. is the concept of family. And sure. people are going to notice when, when the thoughts of Uncle Jimmy is no longer out there. Right. Um, so they just ignore it. Well, I mean, she said that they assumed that they were dead or that they were – didn't she say something she like say that? Did she say that? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I Maybe I that was
0: just me reinterpreting.
1: Yeah. Um. I think it finally brought it to a head. I think they knew they were, that there was some amount of this going on, but maybe they didn't know the full scope of it. And then when they actually had them all there um, and the security forces saw how many there were, whatever, maybe right. that just brought the whole thing to a head. And they, right. they did something about it.
0: Yeah, I and I agree with you because I thought the same thing because I thought, well, boy, it's convenient that she just happens to say, hey, why don't you just go off on your own right after this guy gave her the piece of paper? Oh, you um, think it was a trap? You know, so I kind of thought, well, maybe she knew that uh, that they would be approached by that group, and yeah. that they kind of used them as a as bait. But yeah.
1: uh, I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was quite a coincidence. Also, I, I agree with that. But it didn't seem like she knew that. But maybe she did. They found they got found out pretty quickly, didn't they? Right. Or maybe, like you said, maybe there is a a, a government
0: or a certain person that's feeding the information to everybody and. She, Annette herself, didn't know what the larger plan was, but somebody else did. Right. I'm not going with that because I, I kind of like the idea that they were really all connected. But who knows? Yeah. I, I did think that that she was setting them up to try to trap them, especially when she shows up. Just happens to show up right there. Yep. So, anyways, I, I enjoyed the story. I, it, 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 like a lot of the old Star Trek stuff, made you look at something mm-hmm. you know like the yep. whole you know like the the you know the one with the riddler in it where where his face was half black and half white <laughs> it, it just made you look at Frank something Porsche. that yeah that, uh, <laughs> look at something in a different light that you're like yeah I never yeah. really thought about yeah. it that way makes you think about it yeah right so same the same thing here how connected do you really need to be and uh is it necessarily a
1: good thing exactly
0: you know, with TV and stuff, I mean, with the exception of North Korea, I mean, pretty much the whole world has seen movies, right, from from the Western world or whatever, however you want to word it. Uh, Or even, you know, so in a way, thanks to movies, TV and stuff, I mean, the world has become connected. You know, we all have the same backstory. We all know who you know, Speed Racer and Pokemon are, even though they're not necessarily, you know, American. an American show. Sure. And sure. they know who, you know, Friends and Star Trek and Star Wars are, even though, they're, you know, that wasn't a
1: Japanese show or, or whatever, yeah. you know. So, yeah, uh, media can help homogenize or have common ideas right. between people from vast distances. Uh, however, we're all Americans, yet there's a huge divide that's getting bigger all the time as far as how we think things should be done i mean i'm, I'm talking about right wing left wing whatever right. right um so there's an example of people that are all americans that have been steeped in the same kind of you know media background whatever for the most part and right. and there's major different differences of opinion how things should be well,
0: but that's because we have the freedom of press and we can get the different opinions right yeah, we have yeah. we have one news channel that's all one and we have another yeah. news channel that's all the other they're both saying that they're right so you <laughs> you only watch one or the other you're going to be like well of course that one's right because yeah. that's what they say and then yeah. the other people are going to say the same thing and then you have people that watch both and you're like okay i can kind of see both points of view obviously because both of them are right to a certain degree um but we have that here, you know, in the United States and in in, in our planet. Yep. But if if this planet only has one point of view, right? If all they got was one news network that gave them what the truth was, then they would yeah, have I, a more homogenized that, point of yeah.
1: view. I don't know that they said that that's what they're doing, though. No, they didn't say but that. Maybe but they I'm are. just
0: saying I could see, you know, if if they were all connected, then
1: yeah. then they might only have one opinion on things, right? Yep. Yeah. Can I mention one thing really fast? Then we got to get back into this. Sure. The idea that different news channels, different news organizations, slant the news one way or the other, definitely is happening. There's no two sure. about that. And if you really are right wingish, you'll watch Fox. And if you're really left wingish, you'll watch CBS. I don't know. Whatever.
0: Yeah, uh, I, didn't, I didn't
1: want to actually mention the names, but yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I got you. Go ahead. But I am noticing. I've got Yahoo for my main page, my, my opening page. Not that I really pay much attention to it, but it's it's my landing page when I open up my browser, one of four tabs that open all the time. And I'm noticing that I think they have me pegged as somebody that leans to the left because I'm looking at some of the, the articles that are up and it's like, you know, that's a... Dis- that's kind of a, this, a slanted view on things, and it's a left slant. It's like, are they actually making a judgment about me and the kind of stuff I tend to like and to get me to come back to it more often where they have their ads and everything? Are they right. slanting the information they're putting on my, my landing page? Yeah, 100%. Like, good Lord, really? Uh, it's like you can't get away from it. Yeah,
0: no, that that's that's absolutely true. They do do that. Yeah. Right? Cuz Cause, cause there's one computer I use that I, I do like I look up Star Trek and Star Wars stuff. Yeah. And there's the other one that I don't. And I can go to Yahoo and then on that one that I've done a lot of, you know, you know, it'll come up with Star Wars episode 7 news and all this stuff whereas the other one it uh it it's just more of a generic thing because I guess I don't really click on anything within Yahoo right. to read those articles. But, right. But yeah. Yeah, once you start clicking a few things, that's, that's what they want to start presenting you because they're like, that's what you like. This is what you're going to click on. Exactly.
1: You're going to yeah, spend again, more, more, eyeball, like, more eyeball too much, draws.
0: Too much information
1: about me out there. Yeah. Eh, I will. Okay, so um, as we inch towards a dystopian future, uh, <laughs> let's see. What else on this one? Oh, I, I love seeing Rx at the end. Yeah, that's why I brought him up in the, in the thing. He's on that one panel. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, that one panel. But it was great seeing him. Right. So based on seeing him, this takes place either in the, quote, fourth year of year. the five-year mission, or maybe right. the fifth year, maybe? Yep. One of it's the, not in the, the first other. three. Nope, one of the last two. Okay.
0: I'm assuming it's the fourth year.
1: Okay. Interesting. You know, they
0: have that whole miniseries. There's actually two mini series that uh, IDW did, which was year four.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That we, we still haven't got around to yet. Okay. Cool. That's all I have to say on this one. All right. Cool. All right. Well, let's find out what happens at Starbase 17, shall we?
1: Okay. Okay. Burden of Knowledge number three. This one's titled A Matter of Perspective. Everyone is... Similar, but I'll just mention some of the differences that I, I'm pretty sure are here. Writers are the same. Artists is the same. Ink Assists by Nicola Z- Zani, And uh, there's Color Assists also by Chiara Sinbarro. Um, and I'll just mention Colors are by uh, Andrea Priorini and Ariana Florine. And then everybody else is pretty much the same. So interesting. I mean, is, are are these actually Italian people? I don't know, there seems like a lot of Italian names. Yeah, I well. Okay, covers. So we have two covers, kind of like issue 2. The first one has all of the the text in it and stuff and then the second one is the same artwork but with no text, no title, no IDW logo, that kind of thing. The first standard cover is a really nicely drawn cover, uh, really nice colors and a melange of characters um, with, the, with a planet and the Enterprise in the background. So we got Scotty standing there holding that big gun-looking engineering tool, which was seen at least once on the original series. And then next to him and down to the right a little bit is Chekhov in the lower right. And he's like getting ready to say something. He looks like he's near a ladder or something. He's sneezing. Is he sneezing? Okay, he's sneezing. Um, And then we've got um, two Andorians that are in the lower left, and there's a shot of an Andorian military ship in the lower right with two other ships, which I assume are probably Tellarite vessels. Um, And then, of course, there's a big, angry-looking Tellarite face, alien Tellarite face in the upper uh, right-hand corner. And he's got his mouth open, and he's angry about something. You see spittle like hanging from his top fangs to his bottom fangs. it's Ew. Anyway, he looks nasty. And that's it. It's by Joe Caroni. And like I said, the uh, retailer incentive cover is just the same cover without any uh, text. McCoy and Spock are playing three-dimensional chess, and the good doctor is losing badly. The losses are angering him. He was hoping for instruction and coaching from Spock to help elevate his game. He's sick of losing all the time to Jim, but Spock is beating him even quicker and more decisively. Spock tells him getting angry over the losses is not going to help him improve his game. As they are resetting the board for another game, they are called to the bridge. McCoy thinks, just in the nick of time. Enterprise is on approach to Starbase 17 for resupply and maintenance. Though most of the crew is happy to arrive at the base for some much-needed R&R, Scotty is not happy about having to turn over his lovely engines to the strange maintenance crew. Kirk and Spock tell Scotty the Andorians, who administer the station, are as technologically advanced and capable a member of the Federation as any. They go to the transporter room to welcome Chief Technician Shata. Shata seems to be competent and pleasant. While Kirk tells him Scotty was a little nervous handing over the ship to him, Shata assures them he and his team are more than qualified. Much better work that they would get from them than some other members of the Federation. Shata and Scotty go to engineering. Kirk offers that it's likely the Tellarites the Andorian engineer was disparagingly referring to. Sometime later, the maintenance and resupply work is complete, and they leave the station. Captain's log records that they are now on course for the Janus Six mining colony, that Kirk's log makes it sound like they have been to uh, before and have been out of contact for a while. Uh, in fact, it so- makes it sound like it's been out of contact for the last three years. Suddenly, O'Hara reports an up- incoming message from Starfleet telling Kirk to redirect to a relatively nearby Red Giant system where the Lavota Wind an interstellar cruise liner is in trouble all contact with her has been lost Kirk orders a change of course from the mining colony to that red giant system when they get there they find no trace of the ship it appears to have been totally destroyed with all hands Spock runs a computer analysis of the incident the computer's analysis says there is evidence that implies that has attacked and destroyed the Lavoda Wind. A Tellarite heavy cruiser is on approach to the system. Ahura opens a communications channel to the Tellarite ship. Kirk tells the Tellarite captain that their analysis indicates Tellarite weaponry may have had a role in the destruction of the Lavoda Wind. The Tellarites do not take well to that insinuation at all. In typical Tellarite fashion, they start getting really angry and firing at the Enterprise. Kirk holds returning fire as the Tellarites are a founding member of the Federation. After three damaging hits from the Tellarites, Kirk cannot take this anymore. The safety of the ship and crew is at risk. Kirk asks for an optimal attack analysis to disable the Tellarite ship's weapons. Spock reports computer analysis is recommending firing on two specific points on the Tellarite ship. As they look at the analysis, they recognize that those points are structurally sensitive and may, in fact, to a rupturing of the actual hull of the ship. They could destroy that ship, not disable its weapons. Bones comments, it's like an Andorian is making the recommendations, not the computer. Kirk and Spock realize that Bones is more correct than he realizes. The Endorian computer upgrades have compromised the computer's analysis somehow. Spock and Scotty worked to reload a previous version of the specific software components. The new analysis says that Lavoda Wind likely blew itself up due to a warp core breach combined with a failure of its safety systems. The Tellerites had nothing to do with this. As they said, they are here for the same reason as the Enterprise. Uhura reports the Tellerites are not responding to hails. Kirk broadcasts a message that the Tellarite captain finally responds to. He says they do not want to return fire because they find the engagement would be unchallenging. He says the real challenge is to find out what really happened to the Lavota wind. The Tellarites take to the new challenge and stop their attack. After the channel is closed, Spock says they already know what destroyed the cruise liner. Kirk says that's true, but let's let the Tellarites tell us about it. Eventually they do, and the two ships part company as partners in completing that mission. Kirk orders course reset for Janus 6 Colony. McCoy and Kirk have a conversation at the con that discusses how the ongoing animosity between the Andorians and the Tellarites demonstrates how the Federation is not all sunshines and daffodils, as they usually tell first contact races. Kirk says nothing is perfect, including the Federation. Sometimes the fantasy of it helps them get through the more trying times. An incoming transmission is from an agitated young man claiming to be Lieutenant Thompson. He says he escapes from his imprisonment and needs rescue from the ship he has stowed away on. A Uhura reports the communication has been cut off. Lieutenant Thompson turns around from his navigation station saying, but I'm Thompson, and I'm right here. To be continued. And what a way to end it. Nice. (laughs) They left us a little mystery, didn't they?
0: Yeah, they did. So like I said, when I, I, I was a hard to not keep reading after, after I got that one. Right. I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and find out what the heck's going on. But then I was like, ah, I don't want to know
1: when yeah. we're going to talk about it like, in, in this setting. Exactly. But I will be reading it as soon as we quit talking. <laughs> right. So it seems like this has something to do with the shenanigans in issue one. Right, and they did a good job of saying, "I
0: escaped my captors." Mm-hmm. So we don't know if it was the the pigeon people or <laughs> the blue people. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like who who is his captors? We don't know. Right, they did a good job of not not letting us. You I mean we can? I can guess that it's probably the blue guys, but uh, I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah. So there's two Lieutenant Thompsons. Apparently, I wonder if one of them's first name is Thomas. Uh, that's your Riker joke. That's my Riker reference. <laughs> I was thinking Thomas
0: Thompson. That's a lot of T's there. That's a I lot don't of think tease. That would be his name. But, <laughs> but then I got, oh, okay, Riker. Gotcha.
1: So what is it? Is it a clone situation? What's
0: going on? There's two of them now. Right, and if you think about it, it's like, uh, so he they fixed him real quick. Mm-hmm. So could they have just somehow flash cloned him real quick so that uh, he just had a perfect copy and then that the yeah. real one. Did, did indeed die. Uh, and what was to stop him from making more than one clone?
1: Right. Or in this case, they made a clone, but the original didn't die. They just did the old switcheroo. Or they're both clones and they both think they're the real ones. Well, that's possible too. But you would have had to do something with the original Lieutenant Thompson.
0: Well, as you are so prone to point out, the way transporters work is that the original one is disintegrated and blah, blah, blah. So, no, not really. All they would have had to do is beam him. Like, you know, so the real one is disintegrated and the, uh, the new one was put in and doesn't know that
1: he's a copy. Well, he was cloned somehow, whether it was using teleporter technology or some other kind of technology. They flash cloned him and kept the damaged one. And gave the brand new, fresh new version, the copy, back to Kirk & Company, apparently. Or a copy. We don't, uh, again, don't know. Okay. You, you want to make this complicated? Okay. Fine. Yeah. It's, that's,
0: that's what makes so, it so great. So Xerox, they got a
1: human Xerox machine in the back. <laughs> exactly. And they've got it set to collate and multiple copies. Okay. <laughs> well,
0: see, and then that's what got me thinking is like, what if that's what that guy uh... – that's, what if that was the conversation between the bird guy and the blue guy? He's like, hey, uh, we got one of these guys at home. I'll give you one of them. Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's just let this blow over. And you can have a Thompson of your own. You know, <laughs> I, you don't know.
1: <laughs> it just gets you to thinking, and I'm like, man, I really want to know what happens next. Yeah, so do I, because I think the whole thing was staged. I think from the beginning. Right. Because Because they – for whatever reason – these Malolubdium Magalindians, or whatever the heck their names are. Call them blue guys. Blue guys really want to get into the Federation. So apparently bad enough that they're going to try to give them a carrot, and that carrot is amazing medical technology. So that's the carrot. Mm -hmm. And I think this whole thing is a sham that both races are in on, and they needed to show an example of how wonderful the technology is and who better than if you did it actually on a human, right. you know, a member of Starfleet. So they rigged the whole thing. Um, that's what I think.
0: I think you're right.
1: And then when the Penguin people started saying, Hey, they're actually shooting at us. I mean, they're, they're damaging our ship. Um, and actually, that would have been the second ship. That yeah. they were damaging, so um, they're they're like, hey, you know, we said we'd go along with you, but this is getting bad. This is getting, uh, you know, we're almost losing ships here,
0: right? Yeah, no, I, like I said, it's great. I, I'm really digging this story, and yeah. I was not expecting that curveball at the last page, right? Where
1: he turned around, but I'm tired, right.
0: oh my god, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Of course, of course, that is not what the majority of this book was about, was it?
0: No, no, no. I guess we should actually talk about the book itself. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the main story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, um, again, a little bit of misdirection as far as uh, somebody doing something they're not supposed to be doing.
1: Right. So the first two stories is talking about our heroes and the Federation interacting with other species or new people. Or yeah, yeah, uh, first contact situation, or maybe third contact situation, fine. Right. Now they're have, they're showing their interactions with other members of the federation. Again, uh, contact between different races um, is 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 the overall theme, I think. Right. And uh, and it's interesting to see a little internal things going on, internal federation stuff going on. Um, and the idea that, I mean, a lot of what you see in Star Trek set, tends to be like, oh, yeah, we got, you know, we, we got different aliens around. But, you know, for the most part, you know, humans are running Starfleet. It's mostly human ships, you know, whatever. All the ships look like the Enterprise Constitution class, pretty much. But no, here's a situation where we're actually seeing a, sh- a space station, which is obviously, from the look of it, a andorian space station uh, it's ran by the andorians and it's a starbase and then uh and then of course they're not flying around uh you know constitution class ships they got their own warships uh both the tellarites and the uh and the andorians so um it that's good it's seeing a little bit more uh diversity.
0: Right. I will admit that uh, I think that's something that's lacking in, in the old shows. But, I mean, it was just budgetary constraints, right? You sure. You can't just put makeup on every single person. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's cool to see that there's space stations that are staffed mainly
1: by Andorians or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And why, why should everybody going be going, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll give the humans money to make warships. Yeah, okay. Right. And to build all the, spa- all the space stations. So, I don't know. Right. Makes more sense. Which
0: which was kind of cool when Deep Space Nine was first announced, and you didn't quite know what the backstory was going to be, and mm-hmm. you saw the ship, the space station, mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, finally, something different, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, uh, that, you know, there's going to be this Federation outpost that doesn't look at all like, you know, the ones that we saw in the movies. Right. But then we find out that it's because it's not, you know, it's kind of an occupied space station and not one that's was built for the Federation. Right. But, so maybe the space station was kind of the same thing. Maybe it was, maybe it's really old mm-hmm. and it was from Andorian before it became part of the Federation. Right. Okay. It is kind of funny. It looks like a little guy with, uh, wearing a big helmet with, with, the uh, red eyeballs. <laughs> of the space station. Yeah. It looks like he has two little arms sticking out and. I don't know. It looks weird.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you can... I mean, uh, parts of the space station look like the front parts of Andorian ships. So I don't know what Andorian ships look like. Look at the cover.
0: Oh, is there one on the cover? Yeah. I uh, thought that was a Tellerite show,
1: ship. In, the lower right-hand corner, kind okay. of a blue tint to it, like silver okay. and blue.
0: Okay, that's, that's an Andorian? That's way. an
1: Andorian ship. Okay. And then behind it, are to uh, telerite ships. Gotcha. And if you look at the space station, that front part, there's like two of them, two of the same kind of shape, stuck. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of. With, oh, like with, a little spindle thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. And the thing is, I is, I'm not sure, but I think that ship design came from Enterprise, didn't it?
0: I was going to ask you, because that's the only time I ever remember Andorian ships, because the only time right. we saw Andorians in the old show was, like, the, what was it,
1: uh, Babel or whatever? Dread to Babel. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe once or twice other than Just that.
0: Kind of in the background or something. Right. Yeah, I was, that's why I was saying I don't remember. I, yeah. I, I, I can't remember what their ships look like.
1: Speaking of the cover, we have Chekhov. On the cover, and I don't think he, did did he even have a line in this?
0: Not that I can think of.
1: Yeah. And not only that, if you look at the beginning of the book, it kind of looks like Chekhov is at his normal navigator station, doesn't it? Right. Although it's from kind of a distance, so you can't tell 100%, but if you look at the first few pages, definitely the first shot that shows the bridge, um, that kind of looks like Chekhov, and that kind of looks like Sulu. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think either one of them said a darn thing. Nope. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you definitely see Sulu. Okay, so Sulu's piloting. So by the middle of the book, you see Sulu piloting. And I'm just scanning through the pages because I'm trying to make my thesis. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Chekhov does say something. So he says, we're approaching the last known location of the Lavoida Wind, Captain.
0: It should be Lavoida
1: Wind. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Good point. Anyway, but it looks like Chekhov, right? Yeah, it does. Okay. So now, by the time you get to the end of the book, who turns around from the navigator station? Oh, oh, yeah. And that's definitely Chekhov when they're in the middle of the battle, getting hit all the time. Mm -hmm. Chekhov says more stuff. Sensors indicate they're powering up their weapons again. Anyway, so I'm scanning through, but when you get to the end of the book... Who turns around from the navigation station but? Um, Thompson, who Thompson. we've never seen before. Exactly. Now look at it again, because right above when you see his face and he turns around and saying, but I'm Thompson. So there's a panel right above it and he's clearly at the navigator station. Right. So, so when exactly did Chekhov and Thompson change, shift, change duty shifts?
0: Somewhere between the page before and the page, uh, the last page and the the page before
1: last. Exactly. So I just thought I'd point that out. I thought that was odd.
0: Yeah. So during Kirk and McCoy's little chit chat, that's Mm -hmm. when
1: they switch shifts. Exactly. In the middle of being attacked. Probably Uh, unlikely.
0: No, it's well after that. It's when, when they're just chit chatting about McCoy saying, you 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 know the answer. Why are you letting them do it? You know. So during that conversation, you see you see you see Chekhov, and then after after they gave the answer, then you see Thompson.
1: Okay. No. Yeah. But yeah.
0: yeah who knows, man?
1: I'm we're, just pointing. We're splitting out.
0: hairs. Yeah. I'm, you're absolutely right. I'm just right. pointing out
1: because during their conversation, there is kind of a far back shot that does show Sulu and what could be Chekhov because Chekhov has brown hair, right? Right. Where this Thompson guy definitely has black hair.
0: He has darker hair, yeah.
1: Um, eh, just thought I'd point that out. A little consistency problem, or continuity problem, I should say. Right.
0: Okay, okay. so I'd like to
1: tell the right captain. I thought he was pretty cool.
0: Uh, he looked like a, like somebody like Doctor Zayas. <laughs> should we break into song? I always thought they looked more pig-like in
1: the in the old show, so, but Zayas, here he Dr. looks Zayas. more ape-like. Doctor Zayas, um, I think he looks like the Jack Links uh, or Jack's Jerky Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Especially when he's really angry, right? Like on the cover. Yeah. Well, actually, when he's smiling, like towards the end, and he's kind of has that little that little quirky kind of smile to his face, like going, "Oh, yes, yeah, a new challenge." Yeah, it just it just reminded me of the uh, Sasquatch. Hmm. Anyway, messing with yeah. Sasquatch, but don't but yes, you but also, don't you think yeah. that Tellurites usually look pig like? I thought so. They they don't look that pig like here. No, well,
0: like I said, they look more ape like or Sasquatch like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what? Yeah. So uh, what, so the snout, more of a snout. But you don't... know what?
0: Maybe it's just like the bumpy-headed versus smooth-headed Klingons. Maybe oh, the Tellerites have different races too. Maybe, maybe so. I like this version better. To tell you the truth. <laughs> if this guy's yelling at me, I'm going to be like, "Oh, I'm in it." But when a pig-like guy is yelling at me, I'm like, "I can't take you seriously,
1: Porky." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and you'll not- and you'll notice his shirt. The captain's uh, tunic mm-hmm. is very reminiscent of the uniform that the uh, Telerite diplomats wore in Journey to Babel. Right, the little silver with squares. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: Now the artwork when the Enterprise is being attacked and the you know the phaser blasts are hitting the shields mm-hmm. and stuff, I really liked it because it looked like the old show. Yeah. You know, where just the ship just starts glowing all, all over Yeah, for no reason. Just because that's easier to do, I guess, than <laughs> showing just the saucer section. Right. Shields taking the hit. Right. Uh, which, again, I liked. I was like, man, this this is like watching a, an old show.
1: Yep. It's good. Actually, the the, the special effects were better than on the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they're still better. They're better here. They're still better. They, yeah. They look like they're in the same vein.
1: They, right. They're not
0: a uh, completely different.
1: And there's the one panel where... They take the hit, and it's showing the bridge crew, and Sulu and Chekhov are are thrown forward, and Kirk is almost out of his chair, and everything looks just a little blurry. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Very nice effect. Yeah, I like it a lot. That's a really good effect. I'm not quite sure how they got that blurriness, what extra processing they did, but um, I don't think they just painted it that way by hand. No, I'm sure they did it with the computer. Right. It looks good, though. But yeah, it definitely gives you the,
0: the feel like these guys are just stumbling across the set. set. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Throwing themselves from side to side. Right, exactly.
0: Right, Loved it. Loved it.
1: Good stuff. Yeah, as opposed to the uh, the extra the price of the gimbal, the, the, the bridge on a real gimbal. That's, that's too much, Ken. Like they did on Galaxy Quest.
0: Oh, is that what they did? Yeah. I thought they threw themselves around too.
1: They, they actually constructed the bridge on a gimbal that moved around. Nice, very nice, very nice. Well, I wonder what they're doing for uh, the new the new series. The, uh, yeah, the, the Orville, the Orville. Orville. That's it. Um, I I understand that they don't have the biggest budget in the world.
0: Really, man, they're hiding it because it looks. It I, does I look keep good. watching it does. those commercials, going, "Man, how are they paying for this thing? This
1: looks like an expensive." Well, show. supposedly Fox gave them. Uh, I mean, for a a show like this, a relatively modest budget. So they're they're using it well. So, anyway. I hope hope it's as
0: funny as it it looks and it isn't one of those ones where you're like, oh, all the good stuff was in the trailer.
1: Yeah, me too. Now, mind you, this is an hour-long show, right? Oh, is it? I I didn't know. I I think it's hour-long. So, you know, it's uh, Seth MacFarlane... It's got jokes. It's got humor, but I think they're going for more than just uh, humor. But we'll find out. I'm watching it. I'm watching it. And it's going to be a great season of TV because now we got two Star Trekian shows to watch. Two, two, two. Right. Exactly. But John, this is good. This is very good. I'm loving it. Star Trekian. I like that. Well. <laughs> yeah. You well, won't. The Orville is not Star Trek, although. It's right.
0: Doggone close, isn't it? It's in the same vein, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I'm looking forward to it a lot. Yep. Okay, back to this. So the Janus 7 Mining Colony.
0: Yeah?
1: They made it sound like they were out of contact for three years. So I thought they don't have subspace radios? Well, why would they be out of contact? Well, it sounded like when they said they were going to go there, they were out of contact. Maybe they just meant, like, personal inspection? I don't know. I don't know. But, oh, yeah. Okay. So I just confirmed it at Memory Alpha. That is the planet where the Hordas were. The rock people? The rock people. The Hordas. Uh, The silicon-based life form. The pain episode. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) All right. So they're going back there. How many years later? They said three years.
0: So this is three years after that
1: episode? Yep. Ah, calculation, eh? So this—so was it the second season that uh, Devil in the Dark was? I think it was second season, or was it first? Um,
0: second or third? I mean, second or first? Second. Yeah,
1: it's second or first. It's too good an episode to be uh, a third season. (laughs) You really hate the third season. I'm sorry, but what's there to like? No, I mean, really. Most of the episodes were bad. Well, come on. The last episode where Kirk went into a lady's body? Mm, yeah. Who's no a real woman fan has, of that? No woman has ever been right. a
0: Starfleet captain. <laughs> What's
1: there until until Janeway. And actually, if you take a look at... Um, what was that aborted one? Um, that phase, aborted... Phase 2? No, um, the fan movie that was aborted. Oh, I don't know. Uh, because oh, it was oh getting a bit, or whatever. Axanar, that's it. So yeah, there's 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 a female captain in that. Yeah. Which there I suppose should, you can't call maybe, it canon, but still.
0: Well, I think in Enterprise, or maybe not in Enterprise, but I think they've gone back and said that there was women captains.
1: That episode is just a, a an odd duck and should be forgotten. Okay. I completely agree. Okay, so I'm pretty sure Devil in the Dark was second season. So if it's three years in the future, that would make it the uh, third, fourth, fifth Right,
0: so this is towards the end of their five-year mission.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So, cool. Cool, cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got. You got something?
0: Uh, actually, I do not.
1: Okay. Except that we're looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. What, what is the deal with the second
0: Thompson? Right. And I'm looking forward to seeing who's going to be on the cover. Maybe somebody else is going to sneeze. Hmm. And then not be in the show.
1: <laughs> he was in. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're right. well,
0: yeah. But he didn't have his trademark accent, so was that really him? I don't know. Or was it always It's just an, Amer- or a an American imposter. Right. Anyways. All right. So, yeah, next week we get to find out what happens at the end of this one. Plus, we get to start a new series.
1: Cool. And what series is that?
0: Well, I'm thinking that since we're already kind of here in year four or five, why don't we just go ahead and read that, uh, that mini-series we've been putting off? Let's do it. Star Trek year four. Excellent idea. We'll do the first two issues of that as well. How many total? Um, I don't know. There's two series, and I don't know if there are four each or five each. Okay. So we'll, we'll just start at the beginning. Seems Sounds like a good. good place to start. Sounds good. All right, then. Okay. So uh,
1: I guess we'll be back next week then, Ken. Sounds great, Donovan. And thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.